Good afternoon. Welcome to the Making Awesome Podcast episode, what, 173? Yeah, 173. 173. How's everybody doing today? Hope, uh, hope everyone's having a good day. We're going to be talking all about RepRab and why it is such a big deal. Now, I want to preface this with it is raining quite bad outside. <laughs> so if for some reason we have to end this abruptly, it's because I have lost power. We should be okay on battery for like 15 or 20 minutes, but I don't want to risk it. So just so you guys are aware, Florida is being Florida. Um, it kind of is what it is. So, sorry. <laughs> Anyways, I want to give an awesome shout out to some cool people here. We got Jose Ferrarias here, George White, David Connor Shover is here, Max Harnished is here, FJ Prince, Dwarvik is here, uh, Mitchell H is here, someone is calling the shop, uh, Famelikos is here, uh, let's see, Thomas. Matthew Despaw, Duff, Chris Catlett, Tarzman, it's my brother's here. Kenneth Sang is here. Uh, RS Makes, Matrix Tech, Louis G, Aaron Liebeck, and I think that was everybody. Hopefully, I didn't miss anyone that was hanging out in the chat. If I did, I'm sorry. But I want to talk about RepRap because RepRap is kind of the reason that we're all here. And uh, outside of me getting upset about some of the things that have occurred this past week and ranting on a podcast, I'd much rather talk about something that makes, you know, sense and is the reason that we are all here, the RepRap Project. Um, so I want to go into it a bit because Adrian Boyer posted about it. And well, if you don't know who Adrian Boyer is, Dr. Adrian Boyer, I should say, um, he is the OG, the OG of 3D printing. And without Adrian, without the efforts from the RepRap team and everyone that's contributed to the RepRap movement, we would not have what we have today. For better or worse, I want to be clear, right? You wouldn't have your Prusas. You wouldn't have your Bamboos. You wouldn't have your Crealities. None of this, none of this would exist if it wasn't for RepRap. Because RepRap is ultimately what this is all about. So, it's interesting to me because all the evidence that I can find says that... um. RepRap was started in 2005. Like all, even the picture that Adrian Boyer posted, but I'm going to trust that uh, was actually 2004 because that would make it, this would be its 20th year. Um, but I believe that RepRap is part of it. And there's a whole section of me that wants people to go and build not specifically like an old Darwin or an old Mendel, but at least understand the history of it. Because, like, 
when you buy a car, you're you're consciously aware of like the Model T. You're consciously aware of some of the vehicles before it. And you can look at it and understand the engineering. And I feel like a lot of printer manufacturers are starting to hide that engineering behind various levels of whether it's a walled garden or physical walls. And the printers start to look more like appliances. And I believe they should be treated as such uh, more than they actually, you know, look like tools, machinery something like that um and like it means that we kind of forget our roots and i think it's valuable that we not only remember our roots but celebrate them so uh as of february 2nd that is 20 years 20 years for rep rap that's a big deal now i've been kind of like building printers and such since 2008 so certainly not from the beginning but for much longer than the average person. And RepRap is something that's very near and dear to me. So I want to kind of talk about some of the hardships that we went through back in the day and how those have led to the discoveries and things that we utilize now. But before we get too deep, I do want to remind you to like the video if you haven't, subscribe to the channel, or leave us a rating if you're listening audio only. Five stars, please, if you don't mind. It helps the channel grow. It helps more people notice what we are doing. And if you do want to support us, there are links to Patreon, YouTube channel members, and PayPal right in the description down below. And that is also in audio only. And if you are listening audio only, you have missed this live a week ago we did this episode live so it'd be really awesome to uh yeah awesome to have you live if you can be so anyways let's get into it so my first rep rap um my first rep rap uh, the best way that i can describe rep raps back in the day is if you think the a1 is dangerous do not look at the old rep raps just don't some of the things that we had to do back then was we knew it was just we knew it wasn't all that safe but like you know we had to do what we had to do um one of the big things was PID wasn't a thing we didn't have PID loops we were using what is called bang 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 is what your oven uses so any of you that have a uh a thermometer inside of your oven so that when your oven beeps at you saying that it's at temperature and you look at the thermometer, it's very obviously not there yet. But if you leave the oven for a little bit longer, it does go up. What the oven is doing is it knows that it will get to that temperature when it hits this temperature, right? It's a really weird thing to describe, but bang, bang, it's just on or off, on or off. And where PID is a value between, you know, zero and a hundred. I think it's zero and 128 or zero and 256 of an on or off cycle. This is just on, then off. On, then off. Where PID is on, off, on, off, on, off, on, off, on, off, on, for a lot of time. So you can get a relative power curve where, um, yeah. It's either on or off. And as Nathan Chu says, I think my air conditioner is using bang, bang. That's correct. It is. 
Um, as far as I'm aware, pretty much every air conditioner unit, like the big ones for your homes, are bang, bang. I could be wrong, so don't quote me on that, but I do believe it's bang, bang. However, the portable AC unit, like the one I have in my garage, we have a dual hose uh, portable AC unit in the garage because dual hose is absolutely the best way to do it. But um, for that system, that has a... Uh, it has a special power supply that will let it run at a percentage lower than 100% for its duty cycle. That, that is PID. And PID is important. I mean, as as is pretty much, you know, they're both important, but PID is, is important because as soon as we started playing with PID, that's when I think 3D printers went, you know, kind of here, we were hanging out. All of a sudden, 3D printers became viable. It was like when the ramps board came out i you know what let's find out when did the ramps board come out let's find out so i think that's important when did the ramps board come out wow it's not obvious i would have thought there was going to be uh something well if someone can assist me because i don't want to spend the entire episode going down the rabbit hole of when the ramps board came out um but yeah ramps has been around for a minute like certainly since at least 2015 but ramps ramps boards were around much much before that um so if someone can figure that out for me that would be just peachy because uh, that would absolutely help me quite a bit. But ramps, the ramps boards were kind of that that movement. Um, I think, and I, I'm going to probably get it wrong, but I know ramps is a, uh, what am I going for? Acronym. It's It should be RepRap, uh, RepRap Arduino Mega Polulu Shield. Fairly certain that's what ramp stands for. Um, so Joseph Griner says they built a ramps 1.4 in 2011. So definitely at least 2011 ramps to me is what kind of changed the industry because we now had real stepper motor drivers. We weren't just like salvaging drivers. We weren't salvaging components anymore from trash 2d printers. We were building them with purpose. Um, but the idea of RepRap has always been... Okay, the V1.1 is September 30th, 2010. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, Matrix Tech, appreciate that. But the idea of RepRap was always a machine that could replicate itself. Because the idea... and I think, like, the Voron Print It Forward program is one of the last, like, programs that actually has the spirit of RepRap in it. Because when you build your first Voron... It is, it's not required, but it's heavily requested, right? That you do at least one print it forward where you are making parts for somebody else. And traditionally, your Voron is making another Voron. That is what the RepRap project was totally about. It was about the self-replicating machine that enabled users to make more of them when they built the first one. 
because this would greatly reduce the cost of manufacturing. As a lot of you know, the first one of anything that you make is the hard part. The next one is easy. And the one after that is easy. It becomes easier the longer that you're in production. Uh, my anecdote is the Dixon Ticonderoga, the yellow number two pencil that everybody knows. If you're in the United States, you know this number two pencil. It is the quintessential number two pencil, the Dixon Ticonderoga. The first one cost them over a quarter million dollars to produce. The first one, number one, cost over a quarter million dollars to produce. The second one cost them a fraction of a penny. And that is how you do a production business. Your first one is stupid expensive, and the one after that is no longer expensive. Now, technically, you would amortize out the cost of that over you know, a, a large swath of pencils, but for the purposes of the analogy, it makes a lot more sense. Say the first one cost them a ton of money, and the next one cost them basically nothing. You feel me? So... The first rep wraps had a lot of wood. In fact, the Darwin, last I checked, was mostly wood. I never built a Darwin. Um, by the time I got building my own machines, the Darwin was no longer, like, the one. Uh, we were looking at, like, Mendel's, like a Prusa I-1, um, you know, that kind of stuff where it, it was more bedslingers than it was the, uh, well, Core XY-ish. I guess it really wasn't. It's more of a Hypercube style of uh, printer for the Darwin. It, the Darwin is a beautiful machine, but it was very impractical to build, to be clear. But the big thing with RepRap, and a reason why we, like, I personally, and then I as a company later on, pushed toward RepRap, was because the idea that you can fix your own machine, that you can make your own parts for it, that you can be the warranty, that was something that we really appreciated because we found that with our commercial grade machines, um, when we started a business, we were running uh, 3D Systems ProJet 660s uh, and Z Corp 650s. These are full color sandstone powder based 3D printers. And I still have one to this day. I am, like, actively trying to, um, you know, do that. Actually trying to sell that machine. be great to get that machine out of our shop. Uh, with those machines, we would be spending two to three weeks, if we had a problem, waiting for someone to come and fix it. And that doesn't work for a business unless you have more machines. And that is what the vice president for all of full color uh, in 3D systems told me. If you want, if you want reliability, buy more machines. And part of me feels like that was the 3D printing industry up through. Well, up until the Prusa Mark II, I think the Prusa Mark II was when we started to move toward more reliable machines. The Mark III is when we start, when we had our final, like, this is a reliable machine. And then, of course, Bamboo has made it very, uh, well, a commodity, or trying or attempting to make it a commodity. But it's not in the spirit of RepRap. Like, Bamboo is 100% anti-RepRap at this point. 
at least if you ask me, in terms of like the the, the spirit of the movement, Bamboo is anti-rep rap. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. So in 2009, we have Mendel. Mendel came out in 2009. Uh, it was developed for a while. And this was a cool thing about the 3D printing industry back then. It was on a Google Plus page. There were some IRC channels, if I remember correctly. Um, but it was small. It was a small group of kind of turbo geeks that just wanted to make cool stuff. That's all it was. They just wanted to make cool stuff. And one of the big deals for a lot of us was getting the plastic parts to make a 3D printer was pretty much impossible without a 3D printer. So we had a chicken and egg problem. So when you have a chicken and egg problem, what do you do? Well, if you're me, you build one with wood. And if you're most people, you build one with wood. Because wood is cheap, it is reasonably square, it can be easily like modified, right? Drilling holes and cutting out pieces of it with very basic, cheap, affordable hand tools that you could pick up at your local whatever, right? Home Depot, Menards, Lowe's, your local hardware store. You could buy the tools to make a 3D printer out of wood for less than $100. And at that point, the first thing you would do is print plastic parts for the wood parts, especially if you live in an area like I do in Florida. Because Florida is so humid, we would deal with expansion and contraction, which would absolutely affect machine performance. When I built my first printer, it was never about accuracy. It was about what it could do. And it was cool. Right. When when we printed a part, we didn't expect accuracy because it wasn't when we finally upgraded away from the wood parts. Yes, we were able to get accuracy. So the fun thing was I made the plastic parts twice, once out of the wood, the second time when everything was plastic and the second time that we made those parts. It was a whole different world. Because all of a sudden, this machine was actually pretty decently accurate. Like, I want to be clear, back in the day, that was that was like we were hitting like a quarter millimeter, okay? It's not like we were hitting, you know, we, we weren't hitting like, you know, one ten thousandth of an inch on a, on a plastic extruder printer. We were hitting like a quarter millimeter and we were happy because that was, that was pretty damn accurate back then, right? 3D printing was more of a hobby and there was the professional side of it the fortis line from stratasys that was the big fdm if you will whereas rep rap was well, was kind of more of an experiment than it was a product and to me that's okay because it kept our community small and that small community was all people that were dedicated to seeing the movement through were actively contributing to the movement instead of holding it back. That's a big deal to me because now we see with a larger community, it's not so welcoming as it used to be. Okay. And that means for newbies, you can get lucky or not. 
Mitchell H says you were using threaded rod at that time. Yes, the entire frame of the machine was built with threaded rod. The entire machine was built with threaded rod. Um, bearings and linear bushings and all of that, those were all pulled. God, it's like, I'm, I'm racking my mind to try to remember everything, but it was all pulled from um, enterprise grade 2D printers. Um, some of it was pulled from commercial grade 2D printers, but you had to go to like the prosumer grade 2D printers to get the good stepper motors and the good linear bearings, rather it be just like Delrin on metal, um, that a lot of like cheaper machines have. So you would look for laser printers pretty much. If you found a laser printer, uh, you could get most of what you needed it for a rep wrap out of a single laser printer, uh, which was pretty damn cool um we didn't have heated beds uh what else did we not have of course well they were all metal hot ends and they were kind of hacky um and we've seen so much change right like the ceramic heater cartridge was such a big deal the ceramic heater cartridge was such a big freaking deal um yeah that was a big thing. And it's Nathan, uh, Nathan Chow Chu. I hope I, 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 I don't ever want to get your last name or I feel like I do. As Nathan says, also threaded rods and nuts instead of lead screws. Yeah. Yeah. We were using threaded nuts for the Z axis. Oh God. Oh, it was, it was so barbaric, but it worked, right? It worked. And if it's jank and it works, is it really jank? In this case, yes, it was absolutely jank. As Mitchell H is saying, 1224 volts was a big deal too. That didn't happen for a while. The ramps boards were all 12 volts. Um, I don't think ramps ever was 24. I still think it is 12 to this day. And I laugh because we still have a ramps board. Uh, if I thought ahead of time, I should have grabbed it. But we still have a ramps board. It is the, I don't know if I did all of this right and I don't want to kill an expensive motherboard, motherboard. The ramps board, I've never killed one. I've hooked up power in reverse. I've given it more than it asked for, less than it asked for, and they just don't care. Now they're 8-bit because they run off an Arduino and they're limited because it runs off an Arduino. But that's what we had and damn it, we liked it. Uh, you know, the, the old man yelling at the clouds kind of thing. Um, they were they were just built really well. Um, they weren't built to be replaceable, where I think a lot of the new motherboards uh, are more replaceable assets than they are a core component to the build, right? You can go ahead and... What? You can buy a decent motherboard for, what, 25 30 bucks right now? I think a ramps was like 60 bucks back in the day. Like 60 bucks. It was not cheap. Um, which is a fun problem. Because everything was so much more expensive that it became cost prohibitive to build your first 3D printer. And instead, it made sense to find somebody with a 3D printer have them do all of the components for you, like all the plastic parts, and then have them kind of guide you, right? You had this guide dog, if you will, that was someone already in this industry. So we found that, like, 
when someone new joined, there'd be a veteran that would take them under their wing and show them what to do and participate. Um, that kind of thing is important. And we don't, we don't see that. We, we don't really see it anymore, which kind of sucks. Mendel, to me, was that paradigm shift. Darwin was closer to Core XY than uh, kind of anything else, right? Darwin, I, I want to believe, let me verify, because I think, yeah, Darwin was technically Cartesian, but it was closer to Core XY than what we believe now, right? It was an H-bot. Thank you. Rex is right. Technically, it was an H-bot. Where it is effectively a Cartesian build system, but on top, so the bed can just move down and up rather than back and forth. This made making a machine like this function so much easier. Because you didn't need to deal with a... A, a print bed moving back and forth and being able to kind of understand where everything was going to be. You just had to deal with your hot end. Now, print uh, print beds back then were not heated. We did not have heated beds back then. Uh, and we were pretty much only running ABS. And those of you that have tried to print ABS without a uh, heated bed, you're going to know the pain that that was associated with. Um, it was not fun. We've tried trimmer line, we tried ABS, and that was pretty much the only two basic plastics that were available. Until people realized they could buy old clapped out extrusion lines for for uh, trimmer, for like the, the string trimmer line, and clean them up a little bit, make them clean, and go ahead and produce their own materials. The three millimeter standard was simply because that was the easy thing for us to do. It was easy to drill a three millimeter hole. Now, technically, it's a little bit bigger than three millimeter, and then it's stretched to be the right diameter, but three millimeter hole for purposes of uh, this talk. And the film, it was actually 2.85 millimeter, which is interesting, because like we call this stuff 1.75. We don't call it two millimeter, but we call 2.85 millimeter filament three millimeter filament. Why? I do not know. It never made sense to me. Maybe that was just because we... Maybe that was a joke because of the accuracy of what the extrusion lines were able to do or a joke of what, you know, the machines were capable of doing. I don't know. But it was always one of those ones that kind of made me laugh a little bit. So... When Mendel came out, the community grew a lot. Because it became a lot easier to build a machine. You didn't need how many freaking rails are on a, a Darwin. You've got the X bolts. You, uh, so you've got, you've got what? 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18. You're dealing with at least like 20 pieces of threaded rod. Quite a few pieces of smooth rod. And you needed access to a laser cutter to do it right. Uh, so that you could build the extruder. 
the extruders were always a little janky. I'm looking at you, Wades, for the Wades extruder. Um, it's fine to be clear, and like we have a Lulzbot Taz Six. In fact, can I can I pull out this drawer without hurting? Them? I can. Like for a long time, Lulzbot still used the Wade's extruders. Like this is a Greg's Wade extruder that's on focus. Please, geez. Um, we have, we have Wade's extruder. If or any time, camera, you can focus whenever you would like, please. Focus on the piece, please. There we go. Thank you. So this is a Wade's extruder. Um, basically, it is a stepper motor. The very small gear that drives a much larger gear. So you get a very, very high torque. Um, this is a more extruder, by the way. It's a 1.2 millimeter diameter nozzle, I believe, on a Lulzbot. Um, this is... This is still kind of rep wrap in its core, right? A lot of 3D printed parts, but there's also challenges that come into play with tech like this. One being, it's really old. And that machine is the last machine that we have that ever, uh, that ever ran 3mm filament. So, yeah. And as Nathan is saying, the one with cutting grooves into an M8 bolt. Yes. Yeah. So you could build a jig, you could 3D print a jig that would allow you to uh, carve the little hob gears, the little hob gear teeth into an M8 bolt. And that was your, your extruder. Um, so those of you that like look at the dual gear direct drive setups that people use down, like, well, that's not really gripping the filament all over. Buddy, we were printing with, like, stuff that was so jank, it wasn't even funny. The amount of jank that these old machines had, you look back and say, how the hell did we not burn our houses down? Like, how did we not do this? And uh, a lot of it was that we knew not to ever run the machines unattended. Ever. Never, ever, ever, ever run them unattended. Because... They were science experiments more than they were tools. And I kind of liked that, to be honest. Like, I, I liked the science experiment aspect of it. It was, you know, kind of fun. But at the same time, you got into this industry because you wanted to learn. You didn't get into it because you wanted to just click print and go. That didn't exist back then. Unless you were spending $150,000 to $200,000. <laughs> so... In the 2010s, we see kind of the spawn of uh, the Prusa designs. We see the Huxley design and uh, many, many others, right? That's where it started to go, right? As far as a community, the Prusa and Huxley designs were ones that really moved us in the right direction as a community. I feel like, like I want to do a Darwin Evo. So to be clear, the, the one that uh, Adam from Vector 3D is doing, uh, that, that he just released all the source data and all that for, I want to do a Darwin Evo. And we're gonna, we will be doing one on the channel. So if you want to see that, subscribe. And hey, like the video while you're at it. We got 73 watching and 40 likes. We can, we can pump those numbers up. Um, 
Prusa and Huxley were where we started to see more commercial off-the-shelf components be used in 3D printing. It's where we started to see more of the ceramic-based heaters rather than using nichrome wire from a toaster that you got from the local Goodwill. Uh, and Joe Skriner says, uh, 3D Musketeers, did you ever make your hot end with nichrome wire and furnace cement? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Made a few of them. Uh, you would have <laughs> so friggin' jank. It was so jank. Uh, you would wrap nichrome wire around a bolt and then use furnace cement to make sure that the nichrome wire didn't come off and it didn't overheat and break. So the furnace cement was used as um, as an insulator as well so that it wouldn't short. Um, and then you had to tune your bang-bang profile to stay within a range. It was so jank. There's part of me that loves the old day because it was like that redneck engineering, but with actual engineers more than it was the, like, it's like going to a drag race, but everybody's running, you know, 40s and 50s lead sleds, right? Where, you know, how do you make your car go faster? Well, we cut off the exhaust we put a, a a plate on the carburetor and we force feed it nitrous oxide well won't that backfire yeah but i got a rag i can put out the fire it's no big deal we're trying to go fast we're not trying to live long it's like what the rep rap movement was back then man it was um It was, it was pretty cool. I'm going to be straight with you. It was, looking back at it, it was dangerous, but man, it was cool. Because it truly embodied what this industry was about. It was about giving the middle finger to Stratasys. That's what Rep Rap at its core really was. It was like, we don't want to pay $100,000 just because you have a patent. That's not what we, that's not what we want. We want to build cool stuff because we can. And you can't stop us because it's non-commercial. It's fully open source. And that to me was like, yeah, yeah, you know, fight the power kind of thing that really brought me to Rep Rap more than anything else ever did. So, RepRap, obviously, we're not making old school Darwins anymore, right? Nobody is. Nobody's making old school Darwins because the industry has gotten better. I love the idea of the Darwin Evo. I think that is a great way for us to remember our roots, but at the same time, utilize modern day equipment with modern day speeds, modern day controllers and do it all open source. I think that is effing cool. I honestly do. I think it is super, super cool. But, I worry that RepRap as we know it is on life support. We see companies that are stealing from open source without providing back. 
Heck, even Prusa is taking longer than I want, which is immediate. I, I want Prusa to immediately release all of their source files for open source. They haven't, and I don't know if they ever will. And it upsets the hell out of me. But Prusa also has to protect the work that they're doing and not just immediately give it away. So like, there's this weird problem of being a business in open source where, okay, we need the firmware. Well, where is it? Well, it's not there yet. Well, okay, these printers have been sold for a while. We really need the firmware. Well, what about... What about the circuit boards? What about the Gerber files? What about the... Where are the step files? Where are the step files? Ah, for the XL. This is uh, one of my tool heads on my XL. Uh, we are working on a better cooling solution because, quite frankly, we don't like the cooling solution on the XL. It's a fan from one side. I don't understand why that decision was made. And uh, so instead, I don't have to... I don't have to understand it. I can just change it. Now, if we had the CAD file for this piece, this would be very simple, but we don't. So instead, we have to uh, reverse engineer it ourselves, which is suboptimal. But the core of open source would be that this stuff would be publicly available the day that the machine is released. And uh, I'm kind of bummed that it's not, but I'm also not going to be the person that you know, day 130 of asking Prusa for the, the step files, because if they don't, if they're not going to, if they're not going to give it to us, they're not going to give it to us. Okay. But at least Prusa is contributing to open source, right? At some point, the stuff gets released. At some point, we get access to it, where companies that do utilize open source don't contribute at all, and in fact, actively try to hide that they're using open source because apparently the rules only apply to others and not them. Which I don't like. Open source is... Open source is very much what has made this industry possible. And while... I haven't... Um... I haven't come to the decision how I feel about open source in 2023. I think that there's still value to it. But I worry that the value that I see and the value that the community sees are so different just because of my history in this industry. Uh, Winslow Joy is asking if we will offer up free paid donation, the cooling solution once it's done, potentially. Um, I don't exactly know yet. We are working on it in the Discord server. Um, so one of our Patreon members is on a crusade to solve this problem, and I want to help. Um, because we do, we want to print full speed with our XLs, but if you're printing full speed with your XL in PETG, it's very obvious that uh, we have a problem with our cooling. So... But yeah, like, this will, at some point, if it's not already, be fully open sourced, right? The the print files, the tool head design, the circuit boards, all of this should be. Is it 
I have no clue, but it should be. So, um, but I also wouldn't blame Prusa if they move away from open source because open source just enables your competition to do it better. Open source, when we first started, was not about who is better. It's about contributing to a greater good so that everybody succeeds, that everybody wins, that everybody gets something net positive out of the scenario. Open source is not that anymore. Open source is a way that companies that want to come in and undercut or come in and utilize without having to do work, that's what they do. And then they don't, for some reason, give proper attribution. They don't give, you know, they, they don't follow the rules. And I'm not going to lie, it's kind of frustrating. It, it It's kind of actually really, really really frustrating because it's those companies that have ruined the spirit of open source and while i am here for competition i am here for companies trying to one-up each other i am here for kind of a lot of the drama that would come with it i believe that everybody needs to play by the rules because otherwise, those that do play by the rules will just stop playing the game. And then who loses? The community. The community. The community loses. And while it's not going to kill open source, right? What it will do is lock open source away in the dark basement for, you know, only people that you know, really want to do this or really want to do that. It's not, it's not going to be something that we look at as a community and say, this is better. This is better than it was. I don't think we're going to get that much. And that bothers me because I will tell you, we, we toured Prusa, right? I, I, I know we've talked about this. Um, we toured Prusa and we saw how the XLs are made. Uh, and if you watch Prusa's uh, recent video, they did a tour. It was actually a really nice video. I thought they did a great job on it. And even on the Strange Parts video, a lot of people said the same thing that I said when I toured. Wow, there is no automation here. The automation is humans. Everything has a human step, which means that everything is expensive. That's why Prusa's are so expensive because they're hand-built. Every Prusa is hand-built. Whether you build it or they build it, they're hand-built. That's why they're expensive. They're 3D printed because they believe in the self-replicating machine. That's the value of it. And at the same time, it lets them iterate fast without spending a ton of money. Companies that are more focused on budget tend to make mistakes because... They value engineer things out. I'm not saying that we've just recently seen one of those things occur in this industry, but it's exactly what I'm saying. Or, you know, in my opinion. When we start playing the game of price, I think we start to lose the value of RepRap. Because RepRap, I will tell you, it was not cheap. It was not cheap to build my first 3D printer. It was incredibly expensive. Like, 
insanely expensive. But I was okay with it because it was a project. It was a hobby. It was, it was fun. Now we're getting printers at like the four or $500 mark that they just work. And while I think that's wonderful and a great way for people that want to enjoy the industry to enjoy it easily, adequately, and without too much, you know, gear grinding, if you will, it does leave a bit of a sour taste in my mouth because they believe that's what this industry has always been. And now you can get involved in this industry for less than a thousand dollars and be set up where I think my first printer all in was at least two grand at least. And that was like 20, 2008, 2010 money, somewhere in that range. It wasn't cheap. So just saying it was rough. Vincent <laughs> Joy says the video shows how uh, the video really showed of how much they've evolved over the past five years and that they are protecting some things like their spool winding. Yeah. When we were at Prusa, we were denied the ability to film inside of the Prusament area. We couldn't even film the door. I think were we able to film the door. I'm not certain. We, we were not allowed to go in there. There, there's some proprietary stuff going on in there. And that doesn't have to be open source. There's no reason for how you make filament to be open source. But yeah, we were outright denied access to some areas, which is totally fine. Totally fine. Uh, Raphael is saying uh, they built a $800 self-sourced I2 back then. Yeah, uh, this was before that. And I had a tendency to try to order better quality components when I could. If I needed to order in components and not just, like, find them on things, I wanted to order, like, decent quality stuff. That was a big deal for me. Because if I'm going to place an order and not just, like, dumpster dive for the stuff that I need, I wanted to make sure that I was getting something that would be quality and not be something that I have to replace later on. Right? That's kind of how I look at any capital expenditure these days. Right. We're not buying the cheapest 3D printers on the block because we can have tons of them. And when they fail, we can throw them away. We are buying expensive ish printers. We are buying some cheaper printers to validate whether or not they would fly with this business. And at the same time, we are running a we're running an atmosphere that is more prosumer than it is consumer. But I kind of think that's what RepRap was. RepRap was prosumer. You couldn't do a RepRap printer if you were a newbie that has no... I'm going to put air quotes over engineering experience because I don't... I'm not an engineer, but I built a lot of stuff myself. So let's call it backyard engineering skills. It was different. Now you can go to a micro center and buy a 3D printer, bring it home, plug it in, and barring you doing something terribly wrong, it's probably just going to work fine. Uh, Saul is asking if I still have my first printer or parts from it. 
excuse me, I was up late hanging out with some people. Um, I don't, I don't have my first RepRap printer anymore. We gave it away a long, long time ago. It started to become a parts machine where if we needed something, we could pull a part off of it. Because to me, I didn't realize, well, one, I didn't realize I was going to be a YouTuber at some point. By the way, we just crossed 40,000 subscribers. Thanks for that. That That's pretty cool. Uh, 40,000 subs. I, I'm really excited. I, gotta, I should do a Twitter post about that. I haven't. Uh, but yeah, we just crossed 40,000 subs, which is super cool. Max is asking, no, Victoria. Uh, Victoria's in her cat tree. I can see her. She's in her cat tree, snoozing. She's having a snooze. It's a rainy day, so she's having a cat nap. Um, yeah. I didn't realize where my life was going to take me, so the importance of this machine was not fully understood to me, right? It's like people that bought cars and drove them into the ground then to realize 20 years later that car had they just kept it in pristine condition would have been worth two million dollars like like the 300 sl the gullwing the mercedes 300 sl gullwing i saw one uh a couple of months ago just parked it was valeted and i went to the valet and said so how's it feel to look at a three million dollar car he said dude I didn't want to move it. The owner tossed me the keys and said to park it safely. And I know what I'm looking at. I said, yeah, that's a nigh on $3 million car. It was in pristine condition. It had been restored. But this person took this car out and drove it. Knowing that every single mile they put on that car is money being taken away from the value of the vehicle. But if you bought a 300 SL back in the day, you drove it, and then you got a new car. It wasn't a big deal. I don't know what uh, what cars of today will be like that. I don't think we have a lot of cars that have timeless designs. But anyways, the Darwin, the Mendels, their design was not timeless. It was janky. And quite frankly, when when people saw it, they were like, what? torture device am i looking at like what the heck am i looking at this is weird um and and i don't disagree it was weird 100 percent agree it was really weird and as uh david says my old 240z yeah yep exactly those 240s are worth a ton of money now so i think the big move with rep rap was all about the software. Once we had good software, that's where we as a community started to take off. Because Pronterface and Repeteer Host sucked. They sucked. God, we were using... God, how long were we using Repeteer Host for? It was a long time. That was... Then before software, you were writing G-code. And then you were feeding it into the Arduino. Like, you were... Oh my god, it was so janky. Printers had to be connected to computers. Because um, it was the only way that you could feed it code. Oh man, it was bad. It was, it was so bad. But you know... 
we embraced it. We, we embraced the jank. Oh God, Skyneforge. Oh, <laughs> Joseph says Skyneforge. I have nothing nice to say about it. Yeah. Oh, oh God. Yeah, uh, I have nothing nice to say about it either. Other than uh, it helped us get to Cura and Perusia Slicer and Slick 3R. It helped us get to those. Uh, yeah, if anyone's ever tried to write G-Code, it sucks. Uh, G-Code sucks. It sucks to write. And if you get one little thing wrong, you transpose a decimal, your printer's going to crash. Um... <laughs> Machine Zero wasn't really a thing. It worked, but end stops were squishy. Like, they were mounted with zip ties and plastic parts pressed onto rails, so it was kind of janky. No, it was not kind of janky. It was really janky. But, like, if that's all that you know, you were excited. You were excited about that kind of thing. because. It worked, right? And it was one of those, like, moments where you'd be like, it's working! And you would be just yelling, and then you're like, wait, I am way too excited about a machine that poops plastic. But that's that's what it was like, man. That's what it was like. I kind of miss that. I remember building my first Prusa. Um, in fact, it's that one. That's That was the first Prusa... Mark III. I never actually built a Mark II. Um, my first Prusa build was that one right there. It's the silver power supply. It's the only power supply, a uh, silver power supply Mark III that we have. Um, I remember powering that thing on, having it go through its self-test, and then printing off the first piece, and my mind was blown. That I just assembled a kit from instructions that were quite good and now something that i built was working and it was like you had to have a bit of a cry because you realize how far we've come as an industry right the prior printer that i had to that was right there the lulzbot taz 6 and uh the taz 6 it's not a bad printer but I'm not writing home about it. It was $2,500. And again, fully open source. In fact, Lulzbot back then was kind of rough. They, they were so committed to open source that it was often to their detriment. Where they only used FreeCAD. They only used open source systems. And like, there were... There were challenges that they ran into because they were unwilling to use closed source that I think really kept their machines from going where they needed to go and why Lulzbot is not a larger company to this day. Now, the Lulzbot of today is not the Lulzbot that it used to be. It was bought up. It was moved. They're not the same anymore. But I think they've done an okay job of keeping you know somewhat the spirit of Lulzbot Alive, but certainly not to the extent that it was. It was, uh, it was interesting back then. But, like, back then, I could talk directly with the owners. I could talk directly with Joe Prusha without being a friend of his, right? He was in the chats with us. He was in the Google Plus groups, um, because he was working on his own designs, too. 
And none of us understood the significance of it because these were just turbo geeks like us. Adrian was in there. And he's just a just turbo geek like the rest of us. I wouldn't I, I, I don't think I ever understood the significance of the people that I was talking to. That's kind of a bummer because those groups are now no longer there. Hell, Google Plus doesn't even exist anymore. And I've lost touch with a lot of those awesome people. They'd make really cool podcast guests. In fact, had I remembered about Rep Rep <clears throat> turning 20, I would have tried to get Adrian as a podcast guest because I think for a lot of us, he is very inspiring, even if you don't know his history with this industry. So when we look at RepRap, the idea of a self-replicating machine, we look at accessibility. RepRap enabled 3D printers to enter classrooms. They enable 3D printers to, to expand the breadth and enter into industries that didn't require $100,000 plus capital expenditure. That is a big deal. It meant that this technology became something that the average Joe, engineer Joe, I should say, that wants to do something interesting, that wants to build something from scratch, enables them to do it. If they put in the time and effort. And as Scott, hi Scott, Mr. Marlin, says RepRap changed his life. And that's right. RepRap changed a lot of our lives. I mean, I owe, I owe everything that is my YouTube career, that is 3D Musketeers, that was the object shop before. I owe all of that to RepRap. All of it is owed to RepRap. And it's I and that's probably why I feel some type of way about RepRap fading into non-existence. Hell, if no one would have told me, I would have totally forgotten about the birthday. I would have totally. It's like I care about RepRap, but I don't. I'm not in the weeds like a lot of the guys are. Because open source for me as a business is not something that I can do. A lot of the work that we do is fully closed source because we're paid to do it. And quite frankly, the stuff that I've been doing the past week, none of you all want open sourced. Um, RepRap, RepRap is what made this industry possible. And it's kind of cool to say that. RepRap directly is responsible for Prusa. They're responsible for Creality. They're responsible for Elegoo. They're responsible for every 3D printer brand that has come into existence. RepRap, well, for consumers. RepRap is directly responsible for it. Directly. That's kind of cool to say that Adrian Boyer is quite literally the grandfather of consumer-grade 3D printing. He's a cool dude. 
I've listened to him talk a few times and we've chatted a few times in, in meetings that we were both present in. And, uh, I've never not been impressed, not only with his professionalism, but just, he doesn't see any of this as being a big deal, right? He's very humble about it when in reality he is the godfather of 3d printing that's pretty cool <laughs> troy j asks what do i think is the most rep rap uh project or printer today it's the voron project or the new darwin evo but i think that's kind of cheating because like it's it's a darwin okay but i would say the 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 biggest the biggest rep rap like project, probably Voron. Probably. And I, I could be wrong. There could be something more, but Voron with the printed forward program, I, I think is the closest to a rep rap that we're getting right now. But. Oh yeah. The Rook. Yeah. Gus, the cat is saying, uh, the Rook. Yeah. What are some of the, like, the Rook is good because it's mostly printed. Um, I want to build a Rook. I want to build a Rook. I want to build a lot of printers so bad. I'm going to run out of space. It's going to be a real problem here soon. We're going to, we're going to need more space. But, um, yeah, I would say the big one is going to be Voron. But Rook is probably closer. Um, yeah, Rolahan is doing good things, Troy J says. Yeah. I'm in their Discord. I've hung out a few times with them. But, yeah. And as Scott says, any printer that can print a significant quantity of its components is in the spirit of RepRap. That's right. And, I mean, technically, you could reprint even a lot of the parts on a bamboo. It's just going to suck. <laughs> um, But, yeah. Right. It's why... It's why I believe that even though Prusa could go to injection molding and they know it would save them a bunch of money, they choose not to because it's in the spirit of rep rap to not do it. And there's some respect. There's some respect here that you don't necessarily get elsewhere. Aaron says Steve Bill's doing a Rook build right now. Yeah, I got to finish my Trident build first. Uh, this week... We'll be doing more on the Trident. The week after that is the video a lot of people have been waiting for, uh, where we detail precisely what is inside of a bamboo log file. And I think people are going to realize that uh, I'm right, but that's fine. Uh, we, we are looking to potentially start doing the streams for uh, the Voron every single week because I want to get it done faster and go on to the next project, which I don't know what it is yet, but I want to go on to the next project. I want to start doing more project builds this year. I think that's going to be a lot of fun uh, for this and do more that are in the spirit of rep rap. A Darwin Evo is happening this year. I am doing a freaking Darwin Evo so bad. Um, oh, it's going to be awesome. I'm excited for that. Yeah. Uh, Jose is asking, what about CNC? Did the rep rap spirit enter the CNC community? Um, yeah, I would think so. The MPC and C, the mostly printed C and C is definitely within the spirit of rep rap, but you normally would not use a, 
a CNC mill to produce parts that you could 3D print. So I feel like it's RepRap adjacent. While yes, you could use an MPCNC to mill plastic to um you know to to make another MPCNC. It's called the MPCNC because it's mostly printed CNC. Uh and that's probably a better move, honestly, for, for that system. So that's how I see it. Chris Catlett says, uh, get learn and clipper. Yeah, I know. I've got a machine in uh for testing that we're beta testing, uh, where I'm learning clipper and mainsail and all of that. It is nice to have a machine that we can validly prove is safe, though. So now I can control it remotely. Love that. Um so Scott is saying that elements of CNC have been incorporated into Marlin, for example, but not 100% of the C of the CNC G code dialect. Yeah. That's the fun problem with G code is that it's not the same across all types of utilizations for it. It would be nice if we had a standardization of it, but I get why we don't, right? Each industry needs to fork and have its own style. But that means if you know how to program G-code for a mill, your knowledge of programming G-code for a 3D printer is not going to be the same. It's just the way that it is. And so once RepRap got moving, the innovation kind of spiraled out of control in a good way, in a good way. Right, we saw new designs multiple times a year where people were coming out with new innovations that everybody wanted to do in the industry. So we were all making upgrades and they very quickly became rep raps of Theseus, you know. It was it it it, it was kind of crazy. Um but it was cool, man. It was cool. It's just cool. I'm glad. I'm glad that we have RepRap because, man, this tech is too cool to keep under patents. But I do worry that if we... If we don't remember where we came from, to some extent... That we as a community are bound to ignore it. No, no, I'm not a huge fan of it. I'm not. Scott continues saying the RepRap wiki is the place where Marlon Prusa Duet 3D at all jointly document their G codes so that they don't conflict mostly. <laughs> yeah. The RepRap wiki is incredibly important. If you have ever searched for what, you know, how to set steps per millimeter in start code, you likely found the commands on the RepRap wiki. And it's really, really well done. I don't blame manufacturers for going closed source. I want to be clear. Like, if Duet went closed source, if Prusa went closed source, hell, if Marlin went closed source, I don't blame them because I can understand the frustration that is being copied, not getting credit for it. And then the, the people that copy it, like the ones that utilize it and don't give back 
that violate the spirit of rep rap. It's a kick in the balls, if you will. If you understand that. If you don't, that's fine. It hurts. It hurts a lot. It's uncomfortable. And we don't have a good solution for it. It's a shame, but I don't have a good solution. If you do, let me know, because I would love to find a way like we've we've discussed like some sort of regulatory body that could hold companies accountable what are they going to do levy a fine how are you going to enforce the fine like you want to gatekeep an industry you have a regulatory body right but how do you make sure that the the spirit of open source if not practically is at least in spirit followed how do you ensure it and Outside of lawyers, I really don't know how. So if you have a better idea, let me know, because it would be something that I want to see this industry move toward. That way, companies that take advantage of open source that don't give back to it can be held accountable. And if it is a public shaming, then it's a public shaming. If it's a fine that is levied, then it's a fine that is levied. If it is whatever it is. But I believe if we can start to say, look, you can't just benefit from it and not give back. This is a community. You can't just take and not give back. We don't need you to give back immediately, but you have to give back when you can, right? When you release your software utilizing open source, it is expected that you give back. And yet companies don't care sometimes. That upsets me. So beyond, right? Today and beyond for RepRap. While RepRap will continue to influence 3D printing, the community and the industry, and its legacy is evident, it's not something that I see being anything other than a pillar for this system. RepRap is a testament to what we have done in this industry. It is a testament to what happens when enough people get upset and say, we can do this better. But I do worry that RepRap as we know it, even in spirit, is going to die off more as companies like Bamboo continue to get a foothold in this industry. And I want to be clear, that's not a bad thing that Bamboo is getting a foothold. It's fine. That's consumerization of products. But I wonder if we're going to have like this weird renaissance. So if you remember in the early 2000s cell phones got really 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 tiny late 90s early 2000s cell phones got really really tiny then they started to get bigger and now we look at well i can get a folding phone this is not a folding phone obviously well all phones fold they just don't work anymore um you know we look at the size of the screen more you know you want the bigger screen for more real estate more than you want something that can fit into a pocket if you have one sorry ladies 
So will we go back to the DIY? Will we have a DIY renaissance? Maybe. Maybe the Darwin Evo is start of the DIY renaissance. I don't know. But I'll tell you, I am hella excited for it. I am so excited for... So excited for the Darwin Evo because it allows us to experience old school cool with modern day awesome sauce. I love that. Scott says, no worries, Marlin will always be open source. It works for its evolution as contributors bring us things like input shaping and other features that users have come to expect. Yep. Yep. Gus the Cat says, history doesn't repeat, it rhymes. That's actually, it's a good way to put it. And Nick Nick is right. There are a lot of good community open source development projects. Um, there are. And there are more and more and more and more coming out every single day. And that is freaking awesome. I love that. But they will always be for the Turbo Geeks. Open source will always be for the Turbo Geeks. I would love people that are coming into this industry now to even build a Darwin Evo, right? Make that a cool kind of summer project where you build a Darwin Evo. Because, like, that gives you, that gives you, right? It gives you the idea of where we came from without sacrificing the safety that we have today. <laughs> so where does that kind of leave everything for me? Well, one, I'm happy that RepRap is 20 years old and that the spirit is alive and well with a lot of us, right? RepRap is alive and well with me. It is in my soul. I... I don't breathe and live rep rap as much as people like Scott and Adrian do because I have a business where we do a lot of closed source stuff for people. It kind of is what it is. But I still actively try to support open source money where we can. At the same time, I believe that rep rap, the thoughts and theories behind it will continue to kind of stagnate until we get a project that is rep rap in style that just goes vertical, right? And maybe that's the Voron team to do it. I want to see more companies adopting open source, but in a proper way, right? Um, it would be nice to see, like, Sovol, Creality, whoever. I want to see them adopting open source, but then also contributing back. Helping this community move forward. That's the kind of thing that I want to see. Because otherwise I feel that... Rep rap as a whole very quickly fades into non-existence for the average consumer if it hasn't already been there. 
And again, that's that's life. But it doesn't mean the average consumer doesn't inherently understand that their 3D printer can sometimes replicate itself. That's kind of cool. I want to see more stuff like the Darwin Evo. What I can tell you is I am not the right person to do that. My design skills are not that good. Um, but I love the concept. Because it gives you the... It gives you the experience of old school rep rap without the pain of old school rep rap. So it lets you connect with those roots without having to dig a hole to get to them. I think that's pretty cool. That to me is the spirit of modern rep rap. That is cool. Because we get to have full self-replication, but we also get modern control boards. We get Revos. We get, we get modern stuff to make this possible. I dig the hell out of it. Let me know what you guys think, because... To me, the Darwin Evo is very much, I think, modern day spirit of RepRap. Taking an old design, updating it, making it cool, and then just sending it. And at the same time, getting the blessing of Adrian Boyer, which is so cool that that happened. That's cool. Mr. M. N. Don says, uh, no self-replicating systems. That would be the start of Starling. T3, here we come. Um, sentience is where we start to become, you know, problematic. But I don't expect 3D printers to be problems like that anytime soon. I enjoy where we've come as an industry. I, I enjoy seeing the last 20 years of Marlin. I enjoy looking back, looking current, and looking at the future. But I certainly won't lie in that I'm a little concerned that the future for this might be a little bleak. In terms of the future for RepRap. But projects like the Voron Project, Rooks, some of the other big open source things that people that get into 3D printing inevitably want to do. Like, even if you buy, you're a consumer and you buy a bamboo, you see this thing called the Voron Project and it looks cool and you want to do it. I'm here for that. I'm here for that. And I hope you guys are too. So... Here's to 20 years, Rep Rap. Here's to 20 more. And here's to seeing what comes of the Rep Rap project because I'm excited. I hope you guys are too. I want to see more updated old school Rep Rap designs. I think that would be super dope to make that stuff. I would absolutely, absolutely make them here on the channel. I think it's cool.
What do you guys think? Let me know. But I think we're going to wrap it up. It looks like, I don't know if the storms are getting worse or if we're in between something. It's Florida. Honestly, the storms could be getting worse and I just can't hear it. I am excited for 20 years of rep rap. I'm excited for more. I'm excited to see what more that we can do as a community to help rep rap grow and what we can do to help continue open source because without open source, none of us that are here watching the 71 of you, it looks like none of us would be here. So I think we're going to call it there a uh, solid hour 20. So I think that, I think that works out. I want to thank you guys for coming out, enjoying this. Thank you for hanging out. I want to start doing more guests on the podcast again. Um, something that I'd like to do. So if you have any ideas for guests or, you know, maybe Scott, you'd like to be a guest at some point, let me know. I would love to start having more guests on the show. I think it's more fun when there's more than one person. Uh, so you guys let me know and hopefully we can, uh, we can get some really awesome people on the show, but that is all I have for you all today. Enjoy celebrating some rep rap. This has been episode what? 173 of the making awesome podcast, 173 episodes. Good Lord. But stay safe out there. Don't forget to call your loved ones. And as always keep making open source. Awesome. Have a good one.